joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great. That's not even the right word. Wonderful to be here with you this morning here at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. This is the first time in a long time for me to be back before you and preaching a sermon from God's Word, but I am honored to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning while Matthew and Jonathan are away with our young people at Lads to Leaders. It's also really good to look out and see some people. I'm not going to call you by name, but when I was here in 2007 as the intern and see some of the students that were in the youth group and to look out and to still see them here today, that just really makes me happy to know that you remained faithful to the Lord and also to see some of those same people that now have their own kids that are bringing them up in the church. That just really makes me happy. What also makes me happy is knowing that the tomb was found empty on what we call Resurrection Sunday. It makes me happy because it lets me know that Jesus did not stay dead. That he is alive and well. Now, typically on today, Easter Sunday, you would hear a sermon or a Bible lesson concerning the resurrection. And I don't want to not talk about the resurrection, but rather I want to talk about how did we get to the point that Jesus even had to come to the earth in the form of mankind to give his life that he might be raised back to life that we might have life. You see on the title slide uh, on the screens, for me it'll be right straight ahead, the name of the sermon is How Deep the Father's Love. And if you also notice as I came up, I have several books in my hand. One of them is a song book. Uh, it's not the book that we use here at Ninth Avenue, but it's another book that is used at various congregations. And song number 362 is called How Deep the Father's Love. And I just want you to listen. You may or may not be familiar with this particular song, but I want you to listen to the words of this song. It actually inspired the sermon for today. The first verse says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Verse 2, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed 
I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Verse 3. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. This is a deep, deep love that the Father has for each and every one of us. You'll also see that on the title slide, How Deep the Father's Love, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to give you a heads up. That is going to be my scripture reading and launch pad for the sermon, but that is not where we are going to spend our time. Hopefully you have your Bible with you today, whether it be a physical copy or a digital copy, but you're going to be uh, spending a lot of time in Genesis. Just a little bit of a spoiler alert. But if you would, go ahead and turn with me at this moment to 1 John in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to be reading from the new King James Version of the Bible. And this is what John records concerning love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves <clears throat> is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, I told you that we were going to uh, talk about, you know, how did we get there? How did we get to Resurrection Sunday? Well, how do you get anywhere? You start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. God created a plan. God created a plan. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to stop right there. And that's the main, re the main reason that I have just that one verse right there. God created a plan. I want to plant a little seed in your mind. Maybe it's already there. Maybe it's not. But spoiler alert, this one verse that we just read, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't buy into that one verse, if you don't believe that one verse, anything else, not only that I say the rest of this sermon, but also in the rest of this book, if you don't believe that first verse, you're not going gonna to have a hard time believing anything else. Because here's the thing. God exists outside of time, space, and matter. And it's all implied in that one verse. In the beginning, 
time, God created the heavens and the earth, space and matter. But the implication is that God already was. Okay? God already was. What does that verse not say? I'm going to tell you what that verse doesn't say. It doesn't say how long God spent planning the creation of the heavens and the earth. We have no idea. But we know that with anything that we have, whether it be, this happens to be an iPhone 14. An iPhone 14. For those of you that are tech savvy and uh, up on iPhone, you know that the first iPhone came out in 2007. Well, did you also know that iPhone, the name iPhone, was registered in 1999? That's eight years before the actual phone existed. That's how much time and planning was spent just producing the first iPhone. That's just an iPhone. That's just an iPhone. And how far have we come since iPhone 1? iPhone 1's a dinosaur. If you still have an iPhone 1, you're probably a lot richer person than a lot of other people because I guarantee you that thing's worth a lot of money right now. Not only that, it probably doesn't really work that well compared to what we have right now. What's the point? The point is, is that if we as people put a lot of time and planning into something such as an iPhone, how much more time and planning did God put into the creation of not just the universe, but mankind? This is a book called Out With Doubt. It is a book written by Kyle Butt um, that I have used in youth ministry and teaching young people. Uh, it is a book that is a Christian evidences book. And I want to read some excerpts from it. And on page 16, listen to this. This is concerning the creation of the world. <clears throat> he says, our universe has more stars than, uh, well, sorry, back, let me back up. Have you ever gone outside on a clear summer's evening and looked up into the night sky? What a beautiful sight with all the shining, twinkling stars. Scientists tell us that we can see about 3,000 stars just using our eyes. However, if we use a simple telescope, we can see over 100,000 stars. Our universe, however, has many more stars than that. Astronomers suggest that it has over 25 sextillion stars. That is a, 20, a number 25 followed by 21 zeros. Now, I can't count that high. Neither can you. It would take a long, long time. And you'd probably lose count before you ever got there. But that's not the point. The point is, that's just stars. Listen to this concerning the Earth. The earth is 93 million miles from the sun, a distance that happens to be just right for life to exist. The sun is a giant furnace. It gives off more energy in a single second than mankind has produced since the creation. It converts 8 million tons of matter into energy every single second and has an interior temperature of more than 20 million degrees Celsius. If the earth were slightly closer to this wonderful star, people could not live because of the horrible heat and radiation. Interestingly, as the Earth moves in its elliptical orbit around the sun, it departs from a straight line only by one-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. If it departed by one-eighth of an inch, 
we would come so close to the sun that we would burn up. If it departed by one-tenth of an inch, we would freeze to death. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But before He created anything, He took time to plant. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the power of God. I'm not even trying to downplay the intelligence of God. But what I am suggesting to you is that God took time to plant and to think it through in such a way that it was just right. In such a way that nobody could just be like, oh, I could do that. Could you? Remember what happened whenever Job questioned God on just why are these things happening to me? And then God just, well, where were you when I, and then all of those things that he makes mentions of. That's part of it. So much planning. Every single one of us is unique. None of us, none of us have the same fingerprint. You know how many people there are in the world right now, let alone how many people there have been in the world since creation, and none of us have the same fingerprint? God created a plan. But the plan is not just talking about creation itself, you know, making things, setting, setting things in motion. The plan that we're talking about is God created a plan and part of that plan was not just the life that he made with the plants and the animals and then finally on day six creating human beings. But part of that plan was for when we messed it up. Because as we know, one of the things that we study about is that we were created with free will. Basically meaning that God didn't make us like robots. God didn't create us so that we would just automatically love and serve Him and be faithful to Him all of our days. That we had no choice in the matter that we would just you know, operate on autopilot. Because had He done that, then anything that we did would be meaningless. Not only for us, but also for Him. There would have been no point. But he created that plan for just in case, or not just in case, but actually for when we messed it up. We click over, or not click over, we go over and we look at Genesis in chapter 2. Now we're not going to look at all of Genesis chapter 2 for the sake of time, but what we are going to just touch on is we know that God has created the heavens and the earth and, and everything that is within them. In six days, he's rested on the seventh day, and he's putting man in the garden. And so now that plan is set in motion. He's like, okay, everything is made. Here we go. Now. And so it begins. Adam and Eve are in the garden. He's given them a job. What is that job? That job is to take care of the plants and the animals and to be fruitful and to multiply. He's put that plan into motion. But again... He created mankind with free will. And so they have the option. They have the option to choose whether or not to do what God has asked them to do. Now, we're not in chapter 3 just yet, so they haven't done anything wrong. Sin is not yet crept into the world, but there is one particular tree that they have been asked not to eat from. You know what that tree is? 
course you do. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, when we go back to, you know, God created a plan, when he's mapping out the creation of the world, when he's mapping out everything, he already knows what sin looks like. And that's why whenever he creates mankind, he creates mankind without the knowledge of sin because it's against his nature. God hates it that much that he created mankind, that he created Adam and Eve without the knowledge of it because he didn't want them to know. He gave them the ability to choose, but he didn't want them doing it. And then when they partake of this, uh, should they partake of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well then guess what? Now they're going to know, but we're not there yet. But he's got that plan put into motion. He's giving them the opportunity to do the right thing. He's given them the opportunity to do simply what he has asked them to do. Okay? And so they start to do that. And God's plan has been put into motion. But then when we get to chapter 3, we know that his plan has to start to be carried out. Because in chapter 3, what happened? We know that even though they've been told not to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they do so anyway. Eve is tempted by the serpent. Satan, by way of the serpent, comes to Eve and, and, and he makes her uh, think twice about, oh, well, this tree has fruit and this tree has food that is, is, is good for nourishment. Why not eat of it? Haven't eaten this before. Were there more than just that one tree in the garden? Of course there were. But he got her to think about it just for a minute. And so when she does, and she gives to her husband and he eats, well, now they know the difference between good and evil because now they've had that realization come upon them. And that plan is being carried out now because in verse 15, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, this is what we see. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is what we see. We see the very first messianic prophecy put out. It says, and I will put enmity, some translations say hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who is that he? That he is Jesus Christ. Who, who a couple thousand years later, a few thousand years later, is going to come in the form of mankind to redeem, to redeem mankind. And we know, we know from looking at the in the New Testament that in John in chapter in chapter nineteen, where he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. We know that eventually, after all of the different things that happened, we know going back, I, I told you we we're going to be spending time in Genesis. When we go back in, in, in Genesis in chapter 6, where um, there's so much sin in the hearts and minds of mankind that 
God is just distraught and just, oh, it pains me to even look at these people because all they're doing is opposite of what I desire for them to do. I'm going to wipe everything out and start all over. And he sees Noah. He sees Noah. A righteous man still doing his work, still doing his will. And he gives Noah a mission. When you think about what happens with the story of Noah, you know the story. We've, we've heard it since we were little. It's been preached on at different times as we were adults. We're not going to completely talk about it right now, but we are going to just touch on it just very briefly. In the story of Noah, the, the ark is built in accordance to the, the parameters that God gives, the exact type of wood and everything that he tells Noah to do it. But we also know that Noah is not just keeping this to himself. He's, he's teaching and he's preaching the whole entire time that this ark is being built in hopes that other people would be convinced that when the time comes, all they got to do is just get in the boat. But what happens? Only his family, his wife, his sons and their wives, they get in. But that's still those that were saved. And then Wiley taught on it this morning earlier in the, in the Bible class about, you know, those that uh, when Jesus was here on earth, all people had to do was believe in him. But yet, how many did? Are you a believer? That's what he was asking, the question that he was asking. That same question applied even then, but that plan was carried out. You know, the the story of Noah, the story of Moses and the Exodus, and, and so many other Old Testament stories that we could mention uh, and re make reference to, that they point to Jesus. The story of Jonah and the big fish being swallowed up, spending three days in the belly of the big fish, then spit out. You know, all of those things point to Jesus. And Jesus, and he comes and he gives his life and he carries out that plan. Why? Because of the great love that God has. For each and every single one of us. Even if Robbie Daniel was the only person to ever sin. Although I would have to be pretty old because I would have to, you know, been right there with Adam and Eve. But even if I was the only person to have ever sinned, Jesus still comes and lives and dies for me. Because that's how great the love that God has for each and every single one of us. That's how deep His love is. That even though our sin separates us from Him. In, in Romans chapter 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8, 35 to 39, Paul gives this list of things it's a rhetorical list but it's a list nonetheless that nothing can separate us from the love of god nothing i want you to think about something none of us in this room right now nobody even watching the live stream i know some of you have shared it i shared it and some of the rest of you have shared it as well 
people that are going to watch it later on the playback, on YouTube, wherever they see it. Nobody outside of Jesus Christ is perfect. We've all messed up at some point. With the expectation of us living was perfection. Jesus doesn't go to the cross. We're going to mess up. But here's, here's the things that I want you to remember, the, thing, the takeaways, if you will. Number one takeaway that I want you to get from this is there are no greater plans than the plans of God. There are no greater plans than the plans of God. Paul writes in the New Testament that had they known, had they realized who exactly everything about who Jesus was, that they never would have crucified our Lord of glory. We see Paul write several different times in the New Testament about the mystery of the gospel. There were things that had to be kept from being known plainly and clearly. That doesn't mean that there weren't people that didn't fully recognize who Jesus was. What it technically means, in my opinion, Robbie's opinion, my opinion, is that there were not enough people that could make a difference in changing what had to happen. It was a plan that had to be carried out absolutely to completion. Otherwise, you have no hope. I have no hope. Nobody has hope. Second thing to remember. There is no greater love than the love of God. Jesus himself said, greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And what does Jesus do? He lays down his life for his friends. Folks, Jesus in his ministry, and I, I challenge you, go back and read the four Gospels. There's not a single instance that you will find in Jesus' ministry where he asked anybody to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself because of his great love. You think about this. We think when we read in the book of Revelation, the, the, the vision of heaven that John has while he's on the Isle of Patmos and he's writing it down to the best of his ability, but it still doesn't do it justice. Jesus left that to live here. Here! To be one of us, to feel pain, to know what it's like to be hungry, to know what it's like to be thirsty, to know what it's like to, to have a friend to die, to know what it's like to love. He left the throne of God. That's love. That's love. And we sing, there's another song that we sing. If that isn't love, he left the splendor of heaven knowing his destiny. Knowing his destiny. I've said it a few times in, in Bible classes in the past before that Jesus had to be the most miserable person in the history of the world. He knew who, what, when, where, why, and how that he would die from the moment he set foot on this earth. That is agony in and of itself. Nobody, none of us wants to die, but we all know that eventually at some point in time it's going to happen. But if you knew 
what he knew about his own life, he'd go nuts. I know I would. I'd, I'd go insane. Although, interestingly enough, I had a co-worker ask me recently, um, if you knew you were going to die tonight, what would you do? And immediately I said, pray. And I followed it up Why? I followed it up with, without hesitation, because that's what Jesus did. What makes me any different outside of, you know, I can't perform miracles and I'm not the sinless son of God, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Number three takeaway. In relation to God, good is not good enough. In relation to God, good is not good enough. There's a reason why I didn't touch on completely Genesis 1. I want to go backwards now for this last takeaway point to make sense to you. One of the things that we see at the end of every day of creation is God looks back on what He made that day and what does He say? It was good. The question you need to ask yourself is good compared to what? And the answer is good compared to Himself. Because God is good. That's all He knows. That's all He is, is goodness. And in that planning period, He didn't just stop and say, eh, that's good enough. In that creation period, He didn't just stop at the end of the day and say, eh, that's good enough. He didn't look back at anything that He made and said, oh, I can do better than that. Eh, it'll be fine. Why do we do that? Why do we sometimes say, eh, that's good enough. It'll be fine. I can redo it later. Maybe that works at work. That doesn't work with God. Good enough is not good enough with God. Eh, I'm good enough. When, when God's the standard, no, you're not. Good, period. Nothing else. That's it. We have the greatest gift that we could ever be given. And that is the gift of life. Through the blood of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Through the sacrifice that He made because of our sin. And yet sometimes we tend to just forget about the great love that went into that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard some things that maybe you have heard a thousand times before, but you've never thought about it that way. That was kind of the point. There's not really anything earth-shattering that was meant to come other than just to challenge you to think. But maybe it's caused you to think in such a way that 
that you need to make a change. Well, there's breath in your body right now, and you have that opportunity to change. Maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching this morning, and you've yet to give your life to Him. Guess what? If you're doing that, there's breath in your body. You've got that opportunity. The Father's love is so deep and so great that even if you were that only one to have ever sinned, Jesus still dies just for you. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man, ever since.